This is the Business Storytelling Show, a top global marketing podcast listened to in more than 100 countries, live streamed on social media, and broadcast on DBTV. Christoph Trapp chats with industry leaders to help your company tell better business stories. Here's today's episode. Hey, 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 let's go business storytellers. How's everyone doing? Thanks for joining me. What was that? Episode 630. We're moving right along here. Really appreciate everybody's interest in our continued success. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we want to talk about how do we actually keep up with consumers, with our content audience? How do we know what they want? Stuff changes so quickly, so fast. I don't know if you saw, but I actually just over the weekend published my first um Kindle Vela, Amazon Kindle Vela, and it's a short story on Amazon, and you can buy it one chapter at a time. Isn't that crazy? So things evolve all the time. Are people going to read it or not? I don't know, but I'm trying to throw up the little screen here so you can scan that right there if it pops up. Um, The first two episodes are free, and after that, um, you have to pay with tokens, for each episode. So very interesting model. But the reason I'm bringing that up here is because stuff changes all the time. So how do you keep track of it? How do you know what people are interested in? How to reach them? To dive into that topic, I'm joined by Michael Nevsky. He's an insights uh, executive over at Visa. So really excited to get him on the show and find out what his tips and tricks are. Michael, welcome. Thank you. Great to see you, Uh, Christoph. I'm nice so happy to, to be here. Really happy to see you as well. Thanks for joining me. Now, you know, I mean, it's a real problem, right? I mean, not just for Visa, but even little bitty podcasts like me and Christoph's Content Corner bloggers. I mean, to keep up with how do you reach consumers? Everything changes, interests change, preferences change. What are your top tips for people to stay ahead of the game as, as much as they can? Oh, that's a great question. So to me, it's really understanding where consuming and moving and being one step, at least one step ahead of it. And the way how you do it, you look at the trends, <clears throat> what is going on with consumers overall. And you, of course, apply all the kind of analysis and segmentation in terms of the generational or psychographic segmentation, but really looking at uh, many factors which are affecting us as consumers on a daily basis like inflation, uh, price increases, geopolitical events, cross-border travel, preferences, savings. So many, many factors which go into this kind of a, uh, I call it two-part of uncertainty, which affects consumers. But you also look at the um, new trends or uh, um, trends which actually we're just exploring for example, single person household, people living as a single person more and more in a kind of isolation, excuse me, because people outlive their spouses, higher divorce rates, or because people uh, prefer to focus on certain parts of their career. So in with those, the, all those these factors, so you need to really kind of filter lots of information on a daily basis as a company to really understand the trends like that. That's how you try to stay ahead of the game. You know, I don't even know if it's it's even possible to stay ahead of the game. I mean, stuff changes all the time. And all those things that you were just mentioning, I'm like, I have to worry about all those things. Like for me to sell my latest book or for me to sell my latest product or whatever it is, I got to remember all those things. So I'm competing 
I mean, I always, the joke I always make, Michael, is like, I'm competing with the Yankees game on TV or the Monday night football game, right? Like people are reading my article and they're like, should I buy this microphone right now? Or should I rather watch the game, right? And get distracted. And now I got to worry about divorces and I got to worry about other political events. I mean, totally unrelated from what I'm doing. But how do we as marketers, how do we um, like, how do we keep a pulse on all those different things? I mean, it's impossible, right? To just scroll on Twitter or X or whatever. Yes. And in a sense, I totally agree with you. You can't possibly filter everything. And as a marketers, as a consumer insights professionals, and as a human beings, we have life after work, as you know. So that's why we really need to prioritize and focus what is most important to my business. Is it the taste preferences changing or maybe healthier um, uh, factors play a role? Or maybe considering this confrontational consumerism settings where consumers expect brands and companies contribute to the societal good. And that's why they want to do business with them. Or split brain mentality where I pull back in certain areas of my life and understanding where consumers uh, still want to over-splurge or overspend. For example, coveted uh, luxury vacation. Well, I cannot afford 300 feet yacht. I'd rather take that once a year, twice a year vacation where I can relax and be worry free. And because it's a me time, it doesn't matter what price I have to pay. That's kind of a special type of treatment I'm going to do, right? So that's why you need to actually understand your marketplace as a marketer. You need to understand consumers playing in that place. You need to understand your competition. But same time, you cannot get everything. You need to focus and prioritize what is the most important. Are we trying to capture Gen Z and their lifestyles and habits? Are we talking about a circular economy, especially with younger generations or many other trends? You know, what's interesting to me about that, too, is like it changes, right? And it evolves. And so I was thinking about this example from, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. And it was somebody in healthcare who was saying something like, uh, some doctor, I think, um, my, um, or, or maybe somebody who was selling to doctors. And they were like, my audience, my customers, they're not on Facebook. They are not, and blah, blah, blah. We can't sell to them on Facebook. And today, you would look at that statement, you would think everybody's on Facebook, whether or not they are interested in your message at that time when they're on Facebook is a whole different question. But I'm thinking, I'm like, I don't know. I go back and forth, right? Do I only go to LinkedIn when I want to like talk about business? Do I only go to Facebook and I'm completely shut off from any business content? I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not, but how do you know where your audience is? And I'm just like, that example just stuck out to me. I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk when they said that to them, to him. And he says, everybody's on Facebook. And back then people were saying, well, they're not. But today it's like, duh. Yeah, most a lot of people, maybe everybody is on Facebook. Actually, interesting fact before I answer your question. Gen Z are not on Facebook in the numbers as Xers, um, like myself or boomers, actually. And what well, we also see that uh, younger generations, although millennials are leading the way, but Gen Z is getting up there. More younger people spending not only time, on social media 
and for Gen Z, it would be like TikTok or something, but they start spending money via social media, and brands need to really pay attention to that. So with that said, again, it's back to our traditional segmentation and understanding your target audience and their preferences and lifestyles, because not everybody is on Facebook. So, and also your vertical, your brand. Are you competing in B2B, in B2C or B2B2C? Depends on that. You need to really understand your marketplace. That's what I'm referring to and see where your audience is. And you can apply different meta methodologies besides just your primary data CRM on your existing clients, but you can design primary research like qualitative and quantitative. You can look at a digital footprint and traffic data uh, while third-party cookies are still available. So, or you can even partner with third-party providers or social listening tools. Again, I'm not gonna advertise anybody, but you have a many, many tools in your toolbox and that sandbox to experiment is pretty big. You just need to understand what is the place, your brand place, how you can build that trust in a challenging environment with your target audience and understand where they are and what their needs and how they potentially might be changing their habits and needs going forward and external factors. Again, I'm trying to build this kind of a model, our approach, which you constantly need to reevaluate, re recalculate, and re-engage. You know, what's interesting about that too, as you were talking about that, well, Gen Z isn't on Facebook. Um, I know it's some Gen Z people on Facebook, but um, you know, the next generation, I mean, it's not everybody, but when we talk, right, when we refer, we talk about our little world, right? So for example, most everything that I do, I don't sell, I don't market to Gen Z, right? I mean, not typically, I mean, for some things kind of on the edges, but for the most part, I mean, if I have an article, Michael, and it's about um, live streaming, stuff right like lights or cameras i mean you could argue that some gen z streamers might care about that right or like whether or not i like this gaming chair i'm not a middle-aged gamer i just like to be comfortable so they might care about that but i would not think of them as my main target audience do you know what i mean so that's i think what's interesting to me about that is when i say everyone i'm really without saying it i mean the people i'm usually trying to connect with which is kind of interesting because how do you actually, um, how do you determine who to, that you want to connect with and then who is up next? And I'll give you one quick example. When I was in the nonprofit world many, many moons ago, right? Guess who nonprofits try to go after? The older generations. Why? Because they have all the money, right? So you can get 10 older people and they might donate as much as, 20,000 Gen Zers. I mean, I totally made up number, but you know what I mean? Like a much smaller number because they have way more money that they want to potentially donate. So how do you, and, but that's a problem because the second, all the older people, guess what happens to them at some point, right? They die, they go out of their uh, work life, whatever. And you need the, the younger generations to step in. So at what point do you know? when to go after Gen Z, when to go after the newer generations, and really no matter what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question, Christoph. I'll give you an example from my previous life when I worked in wealth management and I led uh, uh, market research across the organization. And organization 
uh, was looking at opportunities to capture younger generations because uh, for quite a few years now, for the last probably six, seven, eight years, there is a talk of the wealth transfer, great wealth transfer between older generation, silent generation and boomers, and I would say millennials uh, and even Xers partially. And idea was that at certain point, you need to start capturing younger generations like Gen Z and millennials. This way you can bring them into the fold, you build the relationship and as this transfer happens and they progress in life and uh, increase their economic power and earnings, they stay with the firm. And what you're looking at, you're looking at the potential of multiple attributes and understanding where, let's say, the time millennials uh, in their stage of life and what characteristics they um, exhibit when they're looking at investments and savings accounts. And you look at your competition and knowing that player A has a generational loyalty because grandkids saying and grandkids saying my parents my grandparents my grand-grandparents always invested here and that's why i'm going to keep my accounts here but how you capture those younger generations if do you want to bring them to your company and showcase your products you understand the marketplace where they are you understand the channels what channels younger generation using you understand their interactions. For example, younger generations don't want to talk to human beings, unlike boomers and Xers. They really want to have a digital and especially mobile experience and at their fingertips and fast and not to really dwell on those transactions. So an ease of use and experience. And you start putting those together and understand the social media place, to your point, where the high concentration of your target audience, what geographic areas, and what their preferences, and maybe start them with smaller uh, savings account balance, investment balance. So those are actual approaches and techniques you can have to start kind of dividing and understanding, should we start early on to build that brand loyalty and trust? Yes, we're not gonna make money initially, but again, as we bring those younger generations into the fold and make them our customers and build a relationship and create that loyalty later on in life, we will actually get that return on investment in a sense, right? So and capitalize on that. And that's how you do it. Yeah, it's very interesting when you were just talking about the status quo, basically, right? I and mean, it's like, I still buy insurance from the same guy that my parents basically bought insurance from, you know, 30 years ago. And I went away from like, just for a little bit, uh, to get different insurance because he didn't offer specific insurance for, you know, something I wanted to do. Uh, but I went right back when that wasn't needed anymore. So to break the status quo is so hard. And how do companies, I mean, even if I'm thinking about, you know, my little blog, Christos Content Corner, and there's way bigger blogs out there, right? Covering similar topics. There's way bigger podcasts out there. I mean, it's all it's all perspective, right? I mean, some people say, well, he's a big blog or he's a big blog podcast, um, and I'm looking at the bigger ones yet. But how do you um, how do you break through that noise and kind of um, dethrone the incumbent, so to speak? How do you get somebody to change to your brand as opposed to you know staying with what they know? Um, again, understanding uh, the factors which speaks to your audience. For example, the 
I don't know, in my business that uh, generations who are, or people who are more confident in the economy um, are poised to spend more. People living in certain uh, settings, like or for example, rural versus urban versus suburban. There are differences there. You look at affluency. You look at what speaks to your audience. For example, again, that trust and values. And I already mentioned confrontational uh, behavior where um, generations, this global phenomena, and I'm setting up the stage right now, bear with me, this global phenomena of Gen Z being part of something good to contribute to society, it's spreading what I see, it's spreading all over the generations lately, and uh, this confrontational consumerism becomes the core where consumers demand businesses, and business, especially in the United States, headquartered businesses, I've seen as a catalyst for change, for positive change. So, and those businesses perceived by consumers is that catalyst. So they expect businesses contribute to societal good. For example, contribute to policies, better policies for society, not politics and stuff like that. And so taking a, a notch, uh, step back, excuse me, so uh, down. So if we're talking about B2B environment, what speaks to your target audience, right? So how can you cut through the noise? What is the most engaging content? What gaps or challenges your audience is going through? What would speak to them highly that they would find your particular blog the most informative, the most engaging, so they, they cannot get enough and keep coming back, keep coming back? And you need to actually apply some parameters, as you know, uh, like a viewership and audiences and how long they're staying with the show, how long they listen that, repeats, and etc but it's also the content content is the king right so if it's educational content if it's a informative content content i can listen to or watch and actually apply in my everyday work so that would be the most helpful if this content helps me to solve my problems on a daily basis that's the most important it's not just a popularity content it's a professional informative content so that's how i would approach this you know, it's interesting to me, too, when you talk about the different types of content. I mean, it's not a secret. It's not my opinion. It's a fact that there's different types of content, right? There's informational content. There's transactional content. And I think there's a lot of companies, they focus only on the transactional part because uh, or commercial intent content, I guess is the, the right term. Because guess what? That's way easier to measure than everything, right? Than the whole customer journey. So guess what? If I can get you to buy something by my one tweet or one whatever call out, um, that's going to be called a success. But the whole thing matters, right? I mean, whatever the number is, Andy Crestadina throws around 80% of searches are informational content. They're not commercial. So, but but you have to get people to come to the commercial intent, right? Through the top of the funnel, middle of the funnel. Um, let's talk about B2B specifically for a moment. And when you were talking about that, Michael, what I was thinking about is sometimes people say, well, B2B, that's the older people. They make the decisions. Not so fast, not always, even if, first of all, there's plenty of old people who have younger bosses now. So let's put that aside. That's not a debate. That's a fact. And then we also have people. So let's stick with the example where the older person does own the budget, just for argument's sake. And guess what? They have younger people who, who have a lot of influence, 
right? So in fact, they might you might argue that they're making the decision to buy a purchase, to buy a, to purchase a software or to purchase whatever because they're the ones that, that are going to be using it. So the person that actually has the budget isn't even making the decision because they're not going to be using it. They want to kind of um, delegate that. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right. And what also we observed that actually with the final biggest but final stage of boomer ages when they in a sense in charge but same time about 12,000 boomers retiring every day which have uh, influenced our labor uh, force participation and uh, uh, availability of labor force same time uh, i observed that actually and we collectively that actually lots of uh, Xers and uh, even millennials, to your point, already in the position of power, which influencing and changing how companies do business and requirements are changing. And it's more uh, nimble, uh, more efficient way, digital way of how they do business. So that's why our approach to traditional boomer approach needs to be transition and changing. So younger managers come in power so and soon we're going to be having pretty much Xers being in charge of the Fortune 500 world and you know, lots of position of power in uh, B2B environment along with millennials. You know, let's just pick on the whole thing of being in power for a second. So being in power is not what it used to be. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing sometimes. But just, you know, because somebody is in power, I mean, even formal power, people do whatever they want to to begin with. So it's more about finding the right teammates, working together. So I always like to go down this tangent really quickly because I think it's it's changed, you know, how people want to be managed, how people want to be led, and also what they stick around with. Because guess what? Nonprofit world, again, people st stayed in one job for the whole careers because of pensions. Companies got rid of pensions. Guess what? Now they move companies. So if you're a jerk boss, guess what they're going to do? They're going to move companies because you don't have that carrot of a pension dangling in front of their face. So you have to be a different manager. You have to lead in a different way. And you certainly have to understand your audiences. Michael, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, time always flies when you have fun. Tell us how do people connect with you? Who should reach out to you? What can they expect from you on LinkedIn or wherever they should connect with you? Good to see you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. So um, my LinkedIn profile is the best way to ping me uh, via LinkedIn, Michael Nevsky. Um, and um, I'm happy to exchange ideas, discuss the consumer trends. Uh, people who are actually interested in marketing, research, and consumer insights, uh, I would love to connect and discuss more. So with that said, I'm really, really happy to be here again. It was a great discussion. Christoph, thank you so much, as always, for the invitation. Thanks for tuning in. Please rate and review The Business Storytelling Show on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. See you then.